Okay, listeners, welcome to the Peripheral Views podcast. We are doing a quick, a uh, this is a quick episode. It's going to be a short one. Um, we're going to do, it's a special preview episode. Errol and I both have seen the uh, recent Christopher Nolan release, Oppenheimer, the uh, movie of the summer, seemingly, unless you're a Barbie fan. Um, we both have seen it, wanted to do a quick discussion on it. We're not going to actually do one of our deconstructions like we typically would in the film series this won't actually be a part of any series in the podcast we just want to talk about the film a little bit and uh just hit the hit the big notes about it give a quick little review what we thought about the film just to mark the occasion um for its release this summer errol i'm your co-host or i'm your host jake and your co our co-host tonight is the big man errol what's going on hello Oh, nothing much, you know, just uh, you got a double viewing, you saw it twice. That's big time. Snuck in the theater, nice, it's good. Couldn't stop me, yeah, that's good work. Seeing it twice is like that's a it is a three hour film, so like I gotta give you kudos for uh diving back in so soon. So that's like the first thing I'll say about the film might seem a little daunting when like you look at the uh the playtime on it. Um, it flies right by. The pacing is probably some of the best pacing I've ever seen in a movie. Um, yeah, you know what? You know what I think plays to that. And you know what the reason for the. Uh, and by the way, just before we start rolling, um, I just want to mention there's going to be no structure to this. We just want to talk about the film, so we're just going to take the uh, take the chains off and just let it rip. Um, so let's just dive right in, Errol. Yeah, the pacing, great point. Um, I actually think what plays to the pacing, what makes the pacing work. Um, and Christopher Nolan's like great at this with most of his films. Um, there he worked with the uh, music was done by Ludwig Goransson. Um, I believe he's he must be like Nordic or something in that that name sounds pretty uh, he's Swedish, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, he like I, I think that is something to do with the, with the music in the score. Like, I don't think there's a scene in the film where the score is not like like harrowingly um building in the background right Mm -hmm. it's got a lot to do with why i think the film like kind of cruises through and at no point i mean i will say this like my first comment on the uh that's kind of related to the pacing is like i don't think i was and this is this is actually a little atypical for a christopher nolan film because typically um with his films you get a sense that like okay i really got to go back and watch that again to get a full grip on it this one i did not have that i was anticipating too for this and i did not feel like i was lost for even a moment until maybe maybe for a couple minutes i was like playing it wasn't so much playing catch up but it was like i really had to pay attention during the legal proceedings at the end of the film to be like um to make sure that i'm like following each character because it does it does start picking up steam actually like i didn't i didn't realize i didn't realize i was just like a almost like oppenheimer in the movie i didn't realize that everyone was against him until kitty was like frothing at the mouth and she was like look at around you she's like it's she's like it's literally it's everyone they're all like trying to uh taking uh, full advantage of him yeah and then he's just like oh i don't know and then like as like once she makes that clear like you can it starts becoming like more prevalent. Yeah, um, yeah, that's definitely true. I th- I think it was a perfect handling with the um with how he handled fission and fusion, the uh, black the black and white, and then the colored versions. Colored, of course, uh, being Oppenheimer's, and that was fission, uh, the process of fission. Uh, I'll go by the definition, but it's pretty much just when you split an atom. 
Right. Um, so his perspective, it was a like a split perspective, split off. It was just his. Um, it occurs when um, a neutron slams into a large atom, forcing it to excite and split into two smaller ones. Um, so this is a uh, one. So playing, one- he's playing with light too, obviously, because we're talking about. Like he's it, uh, the film is based on like American Prometheus. This is like the the god of sun or the god of fire, and like clearly we're playing with like I mean that's how, that's the colorization aspect is like definitely through the lens of like uh, of like light exposure. Yes. Um, also, you could say it. Uh, it's a play on their perspectives. Well, it's also yeah, that's definitely true. There's like a because it's a non-linear narrative. Um, through mm-hmm. the film. Um, I actually thought it was interesting because th- this is all probably um, not so much speculation, but it's. it's well, probably- oh, sorry. Um, to, to elaborate, uh, by perspectives, I mean, uh, like uh, uh, Strauss or yeah, Strauss sees everything in black and white. Right. Yeah, because of his relationship with Oppenheimer, but very, it's very cut and dry. He's doing this because of illegal. that. There's no other reason. Right. It, it's also, but it's also, it's an interesting. I had a theory that it was actually somewhat of a um an homage to memento have you ever seen memento yeah um so like that uh, for for listeners who haven't seen memento that was uh christopher nolan's second ever film and the whole film is basically in color but it's filmed backwards so like once again playing with the non-linear narrative um each scene leads up uh the way it's structured is each colored scene leads up to the previous the beginning of the previous scene so the as the film unfolds you're watching each scene in uh like retroactively leading up to the beginning of the previous scene um and then in and then interspliced with that is black and white um are black and white scenes that are considered um they're described it's not really described this way and it's a little bit clear at the end once the plot unfolds that those scenes are actually in the present so once again playing with the non-linear narrative he's done this in a bunch of his movies but i actually thought that he was kind of doing that with this one because but in the inverse whereas like see so that's kind of what i thought too because like when the color scenes meet up when the when the timeline meets with the color scenes then all of a sudden the black and white scene becomes color Yes, like when they do. But the time they catches Um, but uh, yeah, uh, f- um, fusion is the the process of the joining of two things coming together to form a single entity. So, uh, oh, so perfect time, the timeline. Right. Yeah. That would they, make perfect sense. They end up, yeah, colliding, and then um, but it's like yeah, the it's running the uh, the crash course for it. And we get to see the, you know, the back end of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it works. What do you think? Does you think it works like as a, I mean, obviously it's, it's, it, you know, it makes the film unique. It's, it's like an original, it's a very creative way for, for Nolan to actually um, shoot the film. Um, Here's a tidbit on it specifically um, quote, in order to, uh, in order for the black and white sections of the film to be shot in the same quality as the rest of the film, uh, Kodak developed the first ever B and W film stock for IMAX, and that would have probably taken place actually right here in not here but nearby in Rochester, New York. Oh, nice! Yeah, I think they worked with. I want to say that I read somewhere that they worked with the George Eastman Museum, which is um, actually in that's in Rochester. So very fair. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think that I think the black and white to color ratio um, throughout the film, I think that works to keep things. Um, well, it does a good it, it actually does its job in that it kind of forces you because they're flipping back and forth. And I, I think Nolan's done this many times um, with his films. It, it like it really does uh, kind of almost force you to pay attention. Yes, um, because it pulls you out, it pulls you out of, of different um, time periods in the film which was, you know, it's, it's unique. It's unique in the sense that it's, him, but. Um, so I, I think um, that is one of the reasons why the pacing is so good because it all, oh, it's like borderline. It's like flawless how it transitions back and forth and how it jumps. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's like you're like watching two movies. Yeah. Yeah. It works perfectly. And like you said, three hours, the three hours just like flies by. I mean, I would say that there's only one moment in the film where you actually get taken out of the film for a moment. And that is probably during the, the legal proceedings at the end, but like every, that really is only, it only occupies about the last 40 minutes or so. Um, so you're talking about two plus hours where you're just gripped. I mean, I was, I was, floored by this film i mean and, and i mean that literally like i there were moments i couldn't take i don't think i blinked for the first two and a half hours i swear like i felt like i was so locked in to and i think a lot of that has to do with <clears throat> the the impact of the content of the film obviously we're talking about atomic energy we're talking about the period in which the united states weaponized nuclear weapons um and being the first not only were we the first uh to supposedly detonate a atomic weapon um on u.s soil but we were also the first ones to weaponize it and use it against enemies obviously against japan um so like the goal of like that is he takes it he takes it very seriously you got to give it to nolan like he doesn't he doesn't he's not flippant about how like serious this topic is Right, it's not like oh, we're gonna do this, so we're all really excited about it. Like, it's yeah, like, we're really pumped to make like a. You movie would, and pump. you would think with it being arguably the greatest achievement in mankind, uh, like just uh, or like in the history of mankind, um, for it to just be like such a bittersweet triumph, like it's not a good thing. Well, yeah, it's like it's like the greatest achievement, but it's also right. like most you know uh, morally complex. Uh, uh, boy boy, do they portray that dr robbie says it very succinctly he's like um he's like i don't want the culmination of like you know centuries of science to lead to this yeah that's why he bows out right well no he wants to he wants to bow out and oppenheimer's like he's like i know uh we might not be able to be trusted with with uh nuclear or nuclear weapons or with a bomb but he's like but i know the nazis can't be trusted with it oh right like so we he's like we absolutely have to do it one thing oh i I know now i know who you're talking about you're talking yeah yeah, dr robbie okay i thought you were referring to because that's what happens with uh niels bohr uh bohr is the one i was thinking of who like yeah he's like i'm not like yeah i'm not gonna help but well same thing um same thing with einstein yeah um he was like He's like, oh, why didn't you ask him? He's the greatest mind. And he's like, well, it was older stuff and he doesn't want to do that. No, he doesn't want to do it because he would morally, he wouldn't have like agreed to that. Like that's, if you ask me, that's why when he comes to him and he hands him those calculations, he's like, 
doesn't matter what I say. He's like, do whatever you guys want. And then he's like, take this paper. He's like, this is yours to your burn to bear. He's like, I was not in the project. Like I, it's the reason I didn't want to do this. And that's why he's what, so what's upset. The famous, the what's like the very famous uh, Einstein quote, like world war, world war, um, world war three will be fought with nuclear weapons and world war four will be, will, will be fought with sticks and stones. Right. And like that's, I'm pretty sure that's like been. I know how Einstein is like one of the figures on the internet who have been misquoted like the most, but um, I think that one's actually substantiated as a true quote by him. And this film actually portrays that sentiment um, through through the through the actor who plays Einstein and in the writing. And um, I will say, I think that he, I think that Nolan, um, from what I've read so far about the film, I think that there's a good. Um, there's a there's very good reason to just presume that he has stayed very very true to the book and i think the book as a biography has been lauded as being pretty historically accurate i there are a few little things there like i read that that the poisonous apple scene is is hogwash according to oppenheimer's like grandson he was yeah like, i guess his grandson was like pretty upset about it too yeah well, i mean that is a thing to look it's like it's all right heavy. i'm not gonna say I'm not going to sit here and act like he didn't nuke Japan. All right, he did that. But poisoning a teacher? Like, draw the line. Like, he's in a monster. Yeah, but like, he would never flat out murder. He would only do it by the transitive property. Like, he'll millions. <laughs> that I see. Set no, them I for centuries. He would you're never. You're already just... covering the ground of which I'm going to put back on because there's obviously. I don't know what do you, so let's just dive in what, what do you what do, what is your perspective and let's use the film as I mean we I don't know how much of about Oppenheimer you've read I've actually I'm the only reading I've ever really done about him was like a couple of I've watched a few interviews and I read a little bit of American Prometheus before this film came out because I heard that it was based on it um but I mean do you buy that he do you think that he was naive in that in, a, in not and presuming that that the development of the weapon would would uh, would actually cease the nuclear um, the nuclear bomb or the atomic bomb as a weapon just by its very existence and that was naivete by him or do you think that do you think that he knew somewhere in his bones that this this will lead to its detonation on uh, civilizations at some point? So I uh, yes, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Sure. I felt like um he knew it in his bones uh to a degree. Like he's like this is going to happen, and then he hoped, just like um the uh everyone else, uh, all the other physicists are like uh, we made this bomb, we can't like drop it. Like the, he didn't want it to happen. He was hoping. Uh, just like Niels Bohr was hoping that it might have been a big enough deterrent to end all war. That's but, that's what I think too, and I actually think you're you've nailed it. Um, and I just want to touch on this before we move past it, though, is like the the chemistry. And I'm saying this, I, I'm saying I'm going to use chemistry in a deliberate sense here, but the chemistry between the physicists um, in their aspirations to develop this web weapon quickly and ahead of the Nazis. The film does a magnificent job of displaying to the viewers how easy it could have been if you were a physicist and you were an aspiring you know very gung-ho young collegiate physicist in the field how this achievement how you could get so wrapped up in the chief in the achievement and the actual development of this of this science that like you and could the very easily forget what the result is going to be that 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 yeah. what 
that this would result in the in the you know death of hundreds of thousands of people potentially millions in the future like you could see how getting how them being becoming so gung-ho about it could all of those trepidations could fall by the wayside just for just in the spirit of of achievement right you know what's even worse um they mentioned it a lot in the in the movie but it it really was so compartmentalized that a lot of unless you were working like in the radiation or like with the uh, like plutonium and stuff um you'd be like there's only one reason we need this much of this it's because they're trying to Weaponized. make it go critical yeah and like you would be able to ascertain it and uh yeah there's a there's a part in the um in the movie where he's like a, a they're doing like the marbles in the jar he's like uh we'll finally have enough to make a bomb and then Oppenheimer goes device and then he's like <laughs> yeah but they're all yeah, see, like to like grow up like what are we doing here yeah yeah so i think that there's i think everyone involved um shares they all probably shared and many of them are obviously dead at this point um maybe even all of them um i would actually presume all of them richard Feynman was involved which is i thought i i feel like i knew that but um it was interesting i've i've, I've heard many things about richard Feynman being like an, an amazing professor and like i have a few of his books I've, i haven't i've yet to crack but like i look forward to um especially after seeing he was in the film and his character doesn't have a very big role but um you could definitely presume that like all of the physicists involved in this in this project were um clearly had a lot of moral um conundrums to deal with internally and they probably all died with quite a bit of guilt on, on their hearts i would imagine um because there, you can t- what's what's crazy is that like are there any true villains even though like the outcome is so villainous in that like you know innocent japanese lives were absolutely destroyed and part of that is you know also complicated because they were in you know in an imperialist um government that was like gung-ho on like on never surrendering um you know and that's that's not that's not to say civilian lives should ever be you know scoffed at or ever you know tolerated but um I don't know. It's just a, it's a complication because you don't get the sense that the physicist working on this. There's only one like true villain and it's honestly Boris Pash um, played by Casey um, when he comes in. Like that's really the only person and, and obviously Strauss. And uh, Truman. Oh yeah. Truman. They that depicted that man that is a real. monster. Did yes. you hear the, that quote is yeah. real. I had heard that quote and I was looking at Ashley and I was like, I told her immediately while we were sitting in the theater, I was like, I've fucking read that before. That is, that's yeah, fast. he called him. He called him a crybaby. He actually called Dude. him a fucking crybaby. Yeah, he didn't call him that in the film. They like they like cleaned it up a little bit, but he called him a fucking get this yeah, fucking he... baby out of so, here. Yeah, yeah, get that fucking crybaby out of here. Yeah, that's a real quote. And like, I was like, holy shit, I can't, I couldn't Dude. believe that that was like the one scene with Truman. But by the way, the uh, actor playing uh, Harry Truman in that one scene, um, Gary Oldman, like fucking amazing. <laughs> you know who that was, right? Yeah, you know, I didn't until you mentioned. That. Dude, bro, that's fucking Jim Gordon. That's Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. He's fucking amazing. I mean, he's literally like one of the greatest actors that, that's ever walked the face of the earth. He really I didn't did. even I didn't even put two and two together. Well, I love is- how it's betrayed. He's like, I, he's like, he's egging him on. He's like giving him a he's like, yeah, like feel pretty good about this, huh? Like, you know, it's a nice thing. Good thing you did there. Yeah, oh yeah. It wasn't yeah. just me. He's like, on the, back. the magazine. 
And then he's like, oh, I just feel like I have blood on my hands. He dangles the he dangles handkerchief. The handkerchief ooh, at him. Ooh, that was real, too, hands. though. That was actually real. He did hand him a handkerchief. That's part of that that uh, interaction. That interaction was, like, v- on the button. It's been reported, I think, because uh, back then, even back then, especially during wartime, they um, they always had, like, a documentary. What's, what's the word? It's not a documentarian because it's not, like, film. But it's, like. What, the uh, stenographer? Yeah, not well, sort of didn't have like a typist like sitting there, but someone who was always taking notes for every interaction. And that was that interaction, like almost word for word has been substantiated, like because I had heard it before the the film even came out. So I'm um, I can't I I wish I had the source, but you could look it up and I'd be pretty, pretty, pretty confident that it's actually been uh, substantiated as a real interaction. But what a dark one. Dude, so all right. I kind of also. I kind of want to feel bad for him though, too. Like, Oppenheimer or Truman? Truman. Well, like so, it's like he's. He had a whole film to actually sympathize with him, but they don't really give you that here. They just give you this villainous, nasty character who could give it, who could give a shit. Because I mean, you gotta imagine, there's no way that that man slept well at night. That's what I'm. Well, that's what I'm saying. He like, um, uh, Truman likely suffered the same issues if not like more he probably didn't realize like the actual like ramifications the whole time the whole build-up but he is the one truman drops the bomb it was it doesn't you you we know the plane the enola gay i don't know who piloted it i can't think of it uh wait no uh colonel tibbets i lied um but that's uh that's it. it was Truman told him to do it. No one would have, nothing would have been done. Well, it's if just it wasn't for his like, word. I, I know. And I know that's a complicated thing too. to like to say, well, you know, this, I'm just following orders, just following saying, saying just following orders, you know, that didn't just, you know, excuse the Nazis in, in their war crimes, but like, it doesn't excuse you now too. No, it doesn't like following art. Like if you commit war crimes, you commit war crimes. And as far as you're dropping a nuclear bomb on a, on a, on a, on a city in a, you know, I know it's a war-torn Japan, but like the fact well, that how many civilians were killed in each, like you're talking, civilians are considered innocent lives, obviously. So you're talking probably 200,000 potentially killed civilians, dead civilians for, I mean, that's a, that's, that's an incredible war crime, not including, and that's not including, I think, radiation sickness, right? Yeah. Um. So the fallout was prevalent, but it was like, I don't want to say like best case scenario, um it uh what happens is with like the aerial burst a lot of it gets dissipated to the point where there's like as much natural radiation there as there is like anywhere else um mm-hmm. but the immediate damage uh is is horrifying um everything has to be like replaced like you have to rebuild everything um all you can't use the metal because it gets uh radiated if i'm not mistaken right yeah. um, so you're talking about buildings and you're talking about yeah. structures, uh, infrastructure. you can if you look at torn down if you look at hiroshima and nagasaki on google Still maps you up can, on a radioactive map uh no no it won't they they won't light up on the radioactive map but if you look at them you could see um just a circle the epicenter where there's older buildings on the outside and it, they had to like re- just rebuild everything in a circle like it's a oh, it's like um what do you i i like how they uh, touch on it too they're like oh the fire bombings kill are likely going to kill way more people than this but he's like yeah but it's not a thousand foot column of flame um one thing that they don't touch on is um the people 
that were displaced on Los Alamos. Uh, in the movie, they say it was like desolate, but that wasn't the case. Um, a bunch of um, Native Americans, uh, uh, Native Americans, and like Mexican um, Mexicans were like living there, or I think like a Mexicanos. I don't know what the exact like uh, terminology. Americans, American citizens. So maybe not citizens. Not necessarily citizens, but they were like living there. Uh, they got. They got displaced shortly, you know, uh, just like a shortly outside of the area. They're just told to move, um, you know, uh, land rich, money poor. And now they were land poor, money poor. But they didn't know what was going on because, like, you know, secrecy. They couldn't tell anyone. Oh, the yeah. day of the test site, they look over and then just see the end of the world. You look over and then you just see a pillar of you, what this is the end. They, uh, right. Because it had to be visible regardless of who is like. You say it had to be visible, Jacob. There was a girl who was blind at birth who saw the flash. Oh my god. What is that? That's How horrifying is that? You live your life in darkness and then just a flash out of nowhere. You're just like, what how you can't even explain that. It's absurd. How where was that reported? I have to read more about that. That's I'll have to. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the, I'll be able to send it to you. The test detonation. Well, let's talk about. Let's circle it back to the film because the test detonation scene is just fucking incredible. It might be my favorite. It's hard to call it your favorite anything, but in terms of filmmaking, let's talk about the filmmaking. I don't want to talk about how like dark and awful the actual event is in a lot of ways, in some very complicated ways, but like. How does that uh, how does that scene stack up for you in terms of the whole film? Is that like for me, it feels like probably <laughs> the most important. Uh, it's the most significant plot development in the film and everything leading up to it. Like the, it's a whole half an hour, basically, of, of build to that moment. And for me, I would say it's 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 the peak of the film. Hmm. Would you would you agree, or is that are you am I am I being hyperbolic on it? Wait, I'm 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 totally sorry. I was uh I was miles away. I found the one thing. <laughs> I found the one quote. What was the um? What were you uh? No, I'll, I'll, yeah, no, I'll just I'll just repeat it. Um, I was saying that I feel like the Trinity test, the detonation test on at Los Alamos. Oh, is I the like high. Is the, the high water mark of the film, right? Is that the? Would you agree that that's the peak of the film in terms of filmmaking? Obviously, the plot is in its in reality has a, a very different. It's a very different, you know, uh, topic of conversation because it is so like morally and ethically complicated. But like in terms of filmmaking, I think that that says that's the top of the food chain right there. So there are three scenes that like induced panic in me. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Um, this was one. This is for sure. The, the first one was the first scene when it's just showing like the particles and like the fire explosion. Oh my and god! Then, yeah, absolutely. And then from that, it just says uh, the uh, uh, Prometheus uh, gave uh, gave fire to man, and for that he yeah. was tortured for eternity. I think it might have just been because all the uh, Greek talk in the lighthouse that we're doing. Yeah, no, that, it was so. Dude, that, I dude, was so. Was so I was like, dude. I was just I was sitting like, there distraught. I was like, well, oh my I god. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, no, I read like, that too, and I was like, I was like, damn, I was like, Errol and I got some work to do. That's the first. Yeah, no, I was, I was like, like not okay. Like my um uh breathing notably elevated. I was like, why am I panicking? 
No, uh, like, what's going on? Yeah, I was like, well, that was that was pretty eerie for for sure too, just because we had literally just completed the White House, the White House uh, podcast a matter of days prior. But like, um, it was also, it was also, um, I guess there's four scenes because it was that I felt the same way, and a lot of it has to do with like the sound editing is just so like mm-hmm. so yeah the whole thing like you're saying it's like they're it's always building up to something right it's um, just constantly building right. Yep. My second scene would be that, of the course, Trinity just test. the yeah, the Trinity test, the build up to it. I think the most important scene in that whole movie. Ooh, are you gonna is, talk about panic attack? Please tell me you're gonna talk about that. Yeah, the the um uh when he does the uh the speech. Yes. Yep. Like where it, I saw someone compare it to a, a horror film scene. And I was like, because it was, it is. Yes, it is. Especially when he like, and then it really becomes a horror film scene when he like steps on the hallucination of a, of a charred body, which I guess was actually not totally inaccurate in terms of like how the composition of a, of a torched victim of, from a hydrogen bomb um, would, uh, would look or atomic bomb, I should say. So it wasn't, yeah. yeah, I guess that was pretty realistic about like how a body would look, and like I mean, it was just like Jesus Christ. I, I found myself saying that internally quite often in the film, where I'm just like, it, it's so heavy that you're just like Jesus Christ. Like a lot of that, a lot of, a lot of that exclamation. Um, and that was definitely that I was gonna say that was because so there's there's four scenes for me, and you just named three of them. For me, the the scene that I'm like. I was just gripping my, um, and a lot of this is because like, this was mostly the score and like, cause it wasn't so much in relation to the plot. It was just how the film was closing. Like those final, those final couple minutes. Um, Jesus, like, you know, I barely even remember what happens. I just remember the sound just like overwhelming me. I was like borderline in tears. I was like, just so stricken by how, powerful the message of the film is because at the end of the day the film the message of the film in the final the final sequence of the film is just like basically an actualization of like what nuclear um what nuclear war would look like in a nuclear exchange it shows like multiple nuclear nuke heads um being launched through the clouds like yes and then he's sitting in the uh in the pilot chair yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Watching. Yeah. Like he's just like a ghost, basically. He's the ghost of he's the ghostly father of the atomic bomb who will basically be even long and he's long since passed. So like he's just over always like you know, overseeing his like his spirit. He has become death, destroyer of worlds. Yeah, yep, yeah. Bhagavadgita or Bhagavadgita? How do you pronounce it? Um Bhagavadgita. Bhagavad if it was in front of me i could pronounce it but off off the top like it's it's been pronounced too many times quickly but um no it's that that final sequence is just like i remember dude i i i I think i mentioned this to you in a previous conversation since seeing the film but i like i like reached my hand over to, to my wife like and just like motion for her to feel my hand. And she was like, she gave me like a, a grossed out look because my hands were so sweaty, like watching this film. I was just so gripped by it. I mean, it just, it just, I've never had an experience in my life at the movie theater like this one provided me. Dude, I, um, there was a, uh, j- just, uh, due to like, um, some of like the similes in the, uh, greek mythology and stuff uh i i i was absolutely gripped the whole time too 
Um, yeah. the uh, you'll notice that dude was smoking the whole time. Yeah, well, Prometheus, right? Like, yeah, he was covered in the flame. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a lot of that. That symbolism's in there for sure. Well, you had to imagine that that was always going to be the case. Being, I mean, the the book is called American Prometheus because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, which is, it's so strange that we talked about the lighthouse right before this came out because it really is like it. That this is like, it's not even obvious. It's actually almost literal. Yeah. He's almost literally Prometheus. No, he's called like he's called an American Prometheus. Right. I forgot who calls it to him. It might like be Einstein or someone. It's one of the no, physicists. no. Like, it was Bohr. It was Doctor Bohr. Yeah, he's like you. Yeah, he was like you brought you brought them uh, the means to the to destroy themselves. Right. Yeah. Um. Or so one thing that um I skipped by, and I think it was really important that they put it in was the apple poisoning scene. Because, like the flame, the apple is it represents knowledge. So, okay. what does he do? He takes the apple and he poisons it. He poisons. He take. He takes the knowledge and he makes it dangerous. Um. So, oh. like that's what he did with the new with the splitting mm-hmm. the atom. He took knowledge and he made it like something that can kill. And he made it the happened. most dangerous it's ever been and will ever be. Yeah made it a you know a ticking time bomb but then once he sees like what can he wakes up immediately he's like i don't want to kill my professor he's like i don't want like you know to be responsible for that and it also showed like a almost a i think the the point of the scene and that's like obviously a symbolic view of of what they're going for which is on point but i also think it just it was a great move it was a great move by the filmmaker uh or the writer whoever wrote the you know whoever wrote the screenplay um to just further complicate the figure morally. So you're not quite sure where his intentions are. Is he villainous? Is he murderous? Is he, is he, um, uh, is he uh, impulsive? Like who are we? He's certainly neurotic, but then again, is he neurotic because that's his nature or is he neurotic because he is overwhelmed by knowledge? Is he neurotic because he's, he's like um, so overwhelmed by not by knowledge and the power in which he's been, he's been given. Um, right. You know, it's just a, it's if a he has Strauss, it's the ladder. I'm sorry. Say that again. If he has Strauss, it's the ladder. Well, yeah. Yeah. It, it would, it would definitely, according to, well, according to his, um, you know, pettiness, I mean, all right, let's talk a little bit about uh, Louis Strauss and specifically Robert Downey Jr.'s performance. What do you think about the acting here? I mean, holy – let's talk about all four of, like, the big actors of the film. I mean, there's a lot of great acting going on, but, like, let's start with Robert Downey Jr., then we'll shift over to uh, – is it Killian Murphy or Cillian Murphy? I, I think it's I think it's Cillian. I, I've been calling him Cillian for, since Red Eye back in, like, 2004, so, like – um, let's talk Robert Downey Jr. quickly, though. What do you think about him as Louis Strauss? Um, it was scary good. Um, his best his best acting performance of his career, which is saying so, uh, it's a lot. That's a lot to say for a guy like him. You, you think it's the best of his career? I think it's the best he's ever been, aside from maybe. I've never seen Chaplin. I've heard he's really good as Charlie Chaplin back in like the nineties, but um, he was amazing in uh, Zodiac. Have you ever seen Zodiac? Yes. Yeah, he's 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 pretty amazing in that, but this was way this was way better. I think this is the best I've ever seen him personally. Yeah. Um that's uh not that's not a ridiculous statement. I um I would be shocked if he doesn't get best supporting actor. 
I agree. I think, and I think he should win it. I don't know. We'll see. Killers of the Flower Moon coming out with DiCaprio and De Niro and all those guys. So like, it maybe uh, maybe things shift. But like, as far as the as of right now and the films that I've seen from this year, like, yeah, I don't. I think that's a. I think that's very likely. Um, what did you? Uh, we'll move right on up on our way up to the to the big house, the big man. Um, what do you think about Matt Damon as uh, Leslie Groves General? Leslie Groves. Man, he was good. Was, he was like he, he was, was excellent, but I'm not going to say his best. That's not a Matt Damon best performance. No, I, well, that's uh, that, yeah, that's a uh, Matt Damon's too good in like he's got a really. I've, so that's it's it seems weird to say, but um, you know, Matt Damon's uh, got like a more extensive catalog. It's true. Like if you ask me, if like when it comes to like heavy hitters, um, yeah, he's probably the most accomplished actor in the film, largely. Oh, I would say almost definitely, but he's just. Well, Gary Oldman, I would say maybe uh, in terms of like... But they, they gave him like two minutes. Yeah, there was like... Someone a candy ass and then waves him out of his... Get out of my fucking side And he's like, crab baby out of here. Yeah, I mean, he was so good though, even for those two minutes. Maybe he gets one just for that one. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, if you were ever to give an actor from two minutes of acting... I mean, that's happened before where like there's been actors who've been nominated for like very very short performances that i mean but if they're that would be the shortest but he was amazing so um, i i think uh, it was it was perfect <laughs> i think Damon? yeah yeah he, I, he, so he nailed it. here's the thing i can't think i can't think of one person in that whole movie that didn't show up no they're all good Dude, i mean they're all it's all like amazing like um uh damon damon's uh portrayal of like the military general just like no nonsense like he wants to like relent but he has to be a hard ass he didn't get to where he was by not being an absolute hard he ass. represents the military so perfectly because he's just the military he's just like he's just like a perfect marriage of like okay so he's not like um I don't want to use the word autistic level smart because that's like that's a little offensive and I'm, I don't mean for well, like a borderline savant yeah, like yeah, exactly. Yeah, savant's a, a nicer word to use because autism is like obviously like can go in a not. It's it's not always like the it's not always not always there to describe intelligence. Some people have autism that can't that can't function in, in the world. But like, I just mean that like, you know, on the spec as in terms of like physicists who are probably somewhat on the spectrum in terms of like their intelligence and their level of understanding of math and science, like. Damon just nails the like okay he's not that smart but he's fucking smart like don't don't test his intelligence you can't question it because like he's a general in the military he's been he's been appointed to this position he's a hard-nosed serious guy who fucking means business but he's not dumb and he's won't right. be, he'll be nobody's fool but he, and, he's, and he's not going to be he won't even be fooled by the physicist so you get the sense that like it's a perfect marriage between intelligence and like uh, like a disciplinarian authoritative figure now yeah the the perfect like amalgamation of it um yeah. uh, i imagine i just want to say some one more thing about game just in case you were ready to move off of him i just wanted to say like are you have you seen goodwill hunting yeah so like i imagine that um <laughs> i imagine that damon going into this role like um just basically said like okay i'm will hunting like I'm Will Hunting growing up and now in the military. Right, just like... <laughs> like, on, so. like, he just extended the Will Hunting role into, like, his adult life. Like, oh, this is a continuation. Because there was, like, a there was, like, a secondary consideration about, like, a sequel to Good Will Hunting where Will goes into, like, 
the CIA and into the military and becomes like a like a high ranking military official um, because like he's he, so he's so smart, right? Like he should. Yeah. So like maybe maybe Damon used that as some like acting inspiration potentially. I don't know. Right. Just to dust it off the old notebook. Yeah. Um. um he's great. I um I like uh, how how Oppenheimer uh like describes him when he's talking uh what they're talking about him. he's like I'm just a humble soldier he's like you are neither he's like uh, <laughs> yeah he was like you are um he's like you uh went to uh what is it, like he went to like Berkeley or no he did I don't think he went to Berkeley he he went somewhere for uh oh so they actually uh, talk about his education an, oh, yeah he went somewhere thing. to be an engineer and I think it I, I don't know why like Berkeley is like sticking out maybe just because they mentioned it so much well, I'll pull him up right here it actually looks like he went to oh interestingly enough you know where he's from hmm. general leslie groves was born in albany new york in 1806 oh, i like how all that there's always a little tie in like a little tie in to new york state hey new york state's an important important place you know it's it's uh it's it's uh birthed a lot of intelligent important people in the world um looks like he a couple cool cats yeah some, some some cool cats some uh also not cool cats a lot of very uncool people from new york but uh, no, it looks like he just went to Army War College. It doesn't indicate that he went. Um, not that I can see here. I, I won't chalk his education based on the, this Wikipedia entry, but I don't see anything cropping up in front of me uh, in terms of education. But it's, I mean, yeah, either, well, he, he said he went there to be like an engineer, and uh, yeah, for him to have like a grasp on like what's going on, like you can't just they don't just trust anyone, and you don't just walk your way into being a general. No, no. Um, Let's move up to uh, what did you think about Emily Blunt as uh, Kitty? I mean, holy shit! <laughs> what a you, it was really good because I couldn't stand her, dude. Oh, that was the whole point. That was the whole yeah, point. Yeah, that was. And she then, did it. But perfect. then she turns at the end, and you love her. Like you're just like, damn. Uh, no, still not loyal. redeemed. No, I thought so a little bit. I mean, well, she she's loyal to him though. And she was pissed at him, and she was drinking, and she did some pretty some pretty was liquor. drinking. She was the liquor. She yeah, she like, the whole time. I don't know what he was thinking. Was like, well, not only that, she did some unethical shit. Like she, the way she talked about her kids and the way she treated the kids and like that that part. Not yeah, not. it's because yeah, because she was drinking. He should have saw that. But it's he was, a, but she was right on his behalf. She treated him like shit and talked to him like a child. But like, um, she was right. Like he needed to stand up, but um, and like actually fight back. But it just wasn't who he was. I don't know. She she was right. Like like you you had actually mentioned this earlier in the in, in the podcast that like you know her her perceptions on the men around him in their taking advantage of him was was not wrong. Mm, right, exactly. Um, I think Definitely I think maybe I'm, to like, I think maybe I'm a little hard on him because I think um, I think uh, Edward Teller. I don't think he did that that much that wrong. Uh, which character was that? He was. Oh uh, yeah, Eduardo, right? Uh, the the one um who like snaps on the one guy and he's like, "I'm leaving." He's like, "You, I'll meet with you once once a week for one hour." He's like, "We the, the hydrogen bomb guy." Yeah, the Hungarian dude. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I remember who you're talking about. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he was didn't he like uh, try he like I don't know he like turned on him and sh- I can't remember what the context was because. Like, I mean, he didn't. So he said that he took um, his hand after basically saying, like, 
he said I wouldn't he he said I wouldn't um like work for him again just because his he was a little like neurotic um and he goes I would wish to work with someone who I felt I understood more therefore like felt more comfortable to work yeah with. I thought the same I, I know now I now I recall yeah I think there was um I think there was definitely um he handled it pretty like somewhat professionally. I think that yeah. she was, like so uh, um I guess that happened in real life. I guess Kitty didn't shake his hand in real life. Um and he cried. Oh man. Well yeah. this, these men were, must have been pretty fragile after everything. Like they could dude, after carrying all of that. Yeah, oh not, my goodness. You don't dude, want because you, you don't want like anyone like you need like imagine the support these men probably like would have needed. And I'm not it's not to I'm not gonna say that they deserved it because I don't know I don't know about that. I don't know that I feel that way. But the the support that they probably would have needed to be able to shoulder this burden, the support they would have needed from their peers and the spouses of their peers, even even to that degree. Um, specifically in this context, I mean, you have to imagine that, like, it's the, I don't know. I mean, I don't even what know. Do you say, what do you say to one of these physicists as, like, a therapist? I don't know. I think that's uncharted. What, what is it? What is a, It's not uncharted territory. It's like, uh, I mean, it is, but it, there's a phrase that describes things like that, especially in psych, psychiatry, like. I don't know. It's it's unprecedented. It's, well, that's for sure. That's an absolute. I mean, it truly is unprecedented. And I don't know how one psych, psychologist or I mean, all that will happen in those conversations, especially in like something like psychotherapy is simply going to be rationalizing. That's mm -hmm. all. You, that's the only way to get through something because everything else, the gravity of the situation is in what they what they did and, you know, detonating thermonuclear weapons is um i mean i don't know what i mean I'm, i should differentiate i don't think were they considered they're not considered thermonuclear it's an atomic weapon yeah yeah no that, well thermonuclear i think that's the hydrogen bomb that would be the hydrogen bomb right so if they, i'm not mistaken I, when i growing up I, I was always under the implication that thermonuclear was just anything that was uh atomic. like a nuke yeah um, yeah i mean either way i mean the gravity is just like um this is why I feel like the film is, this is why I wanted to do this podcast tonight because I, I just feel like I don't want this moment to pass by where like American cinema is taking on this topic because I actually think, well, Dan Carlin actually, you know, just put a book out a couple of years ago. It's called uh, the end is always near. And it specifically is, I feel like he, he would probably somewhat agree. I mean, Dan Carlin's, you know, he's not, um, he's amazing in every way, but I don't think he's one of the more popular. He's not the most popular voice on like, uh, you know, geopolitics in the world. He's maybe one of the most popular podcast in the world. And he's one of the leading voices on the topic and probably one of the most knowledgeable. However, um, you know, I thought that that was like, I really was hoping that that would be the book that like pushed him into like a more mainstream. And then the world would start having more productive conversations about um, nuclear development in you know places like north korea and iran and um instead i feel like i don't know i don't know what it's going to take and it's nice to see a film that was bold enough to take this on and and have something to say important to say important to note that like this film had something to say about nuclear weapons and their existence in the world and our responsibility to them um, yes i don't think that should be like i don't think we should sleep on that on that notion of the film the film was not just a biopic 
this film had a political had a political messaging for sure but but an important important film you know um I, and like I said, I, I did want to. This podcast was like, this is what this was about. Was like, I feel like it's just, it's an important moment. Uh, it's an important moment in cinema because it is just so iconic and so good. It's going to be, it's going to age very well. Um, yeah, no, I think, um, I think you're exactly right. And like, just calling this audible. Yeah, hundred percent. The second, like, it happened, um, because, uh, yeah, no, that is, uh, it, so here's the thing. Like, um, I saw. It was something that was like really silly. It was like, why didn't Oppenheimer have a have an end credit scene? I was like, well, because it isn't a Marvel movie. I was like, because it was kind of put <laughs> succinctly. But there is like the end credit scene is it was the Cold War. It was history. It was like, what is going on now? We can li- the Earth can light up like that at any moment, <laughs> like it's for no reason, just because one dude's like, I'm sick of it. Well, did you hear? Did you hear that? Like, because Moscow is getting striked and shit in Russia. Like, they're taking the the Ukrainians are now like taking the war into Russia. I'm not. It's not to indicate that that is like assuredly going to lead to a nuclear exchange between Western powers or anything like that. I don't like. I don't. I don't think so. I, I personally don't think so. But the 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 what we have we have um, tools of measurement to determine the likelihood or the probability of. I mean, it's, it's actuarial that, you know, in, in terms of the science as to when or the probability of something. The like doomsday that. clock? Yeah. The, yeah. It's, I mean, is it the most reliable sense of, of probability in terms of, you know, I don't know that you can truly measure it in a reliable way, but like, you know, the, it's not, it's not off the table. It's Dude, we're 90, we're 90 seconds to midnight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. As close as we've ever been since yeah. the Cold War. Like even during the Cold War, I think we're closer to in in terms of likelihood, which is just like it's always it's always a scary topic. But it's it's I mean, you can't make an argument that anything is more important. It's not possible to make a more important argument than like, how do we responsibly have nuclear weapons in this world where war is inevitable? I don't know. I don't know, but it's important. In 1947, it was seven minutes to midnight. Jesus. Well, that's but factoring into the probability is likely the 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 continuation of the development where like many more countries, like India, has nuclear weapons. When um, before the uh, like proliferation, like the United States had like 31,000 nukes. Jesus Christ, dude! Jesus, what do you do with that? What do you do? That's the world and the moon. Like, dude, you're not safe either, dude. Yeah, send them to Mars to blow up the sun too. Yeah, you like you 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 could feed it. (laughs) Yeah, you could try with that. It just makes the sun bigger. Like, I'm that's just the dumbest thing. Yeah, I'm willing to admit it. I mean, I know it. Yeah, no, it it, it wouldn't blow it up, but I mean, it wouldn't. Yeah, for science, you know, I don't know. You see what happens. Throw a thousand of them at him. You have thirty thousand more. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, it was. um, Somebody get to grass Tyson on the phone. It was more than enough to uh, blow up the world, like many times over. A few times over, right? Yeah, yeah. I just think that it's. Um, I just think that the film, and I'm so glad that the film didn't end with like some trite thing where they like. I was I was half expecting, but I trust Nolan enough not to do something like this. But part of me thought like a lesser filmmaker, we'll say, would have just like done a little like flash sequence of like all the events that took place since his death or something like that, like the falling of the Berlin wall and all these like geopolitical stuff. But like, 
he said, fuck that. That shit's not even important because what's important is now. And like, look at what could happen. Like, mm-hmm. Here's, here's the launching of like many nuclear missiles. And like, here's the man responsible. Here's his story. I, I know that he's not like a political person, Christopher Nolan. I'm, I mean, I'm sure he has politics, but like, this is like kind of beyond politics in a lot of ways. Um, but I, and I don't know that he was intending to make the film to be a political statement, but like, I really hope that it, it offers a channel to discussion about this issue. Yeah, I hope it does too, because um, uh, the world um is the victim of that day. Like we are all at risk now. Um, and the thing is, people have been affected to varying degrees, um, varying from the absolute extreme to like you know the people at Hiroshima and Nagasaki to some other unknown extremes like um the people who were displaced at Los Alamos yeah the people who were born down or who lived downwind of it um right. had to be absolutely secretive so they didn't tell anyone what was going on um you'll notice uh and, uh, and it actually happened too in the movie uh before they do the test it was raining and like thunderstorming right oh yeah right right yeah um it was during like um a like a rainy season. So yeah. what happens is when that fallout goes into the air and then rains down, um, we're talking many, many miles wet or it, probably it, east, east or and south. It, and it takes a lot of the, uh, the radiation, some of the heavier materials and it draws them out of the sky. Cause it uses like, it's a particulate. Isn't that what put that? So that, like they can produce like acid rain, right? It's yeah. Well, it's acid rain to the extreme. It's uh, right. radi- it's radiation. Radio- and then that goes, and then a lot of those people who were living by there, they were drinking the rainwater. They were drinking the milk from their cows. I mean, they were God using it to water their plants. And their story they couldn't tell them the about film. it. Their story should have been told in the film, but like they know. did. They um, I a lot of people are kind of upset that they didn't. Um, especially um, people of like Los Alamos, New Mexico. They're like, we were just totally forgot there. Um, a um, a lot of the people who were like um, like migrants. Uh, they were like, we can offer you work just deposit all this like depleted uranium <laughs> like you know just like move this stuff build the houses I, i'll say this i'll say this i think they i think they could have very easily like um he could have probably here's my opinion he could have at the end if if he wanted to pay homage to especially the, the japanese he could have like there could have been like a statistic or something like that at the end and it could have included like an anecdote about uh those peoples but like i also think like Christopher Nolan's not a fucking villain for omitting something. It's a fucking three-hour film. Yeah, yeah. You know so I mean? that's and also what I was thinking, too. I think he was trying to make the best movie. I don't think he was trying to be and, like, sensitive. I think they, And it's almost like... um, So while it is, like, disingenuous to have some of that out, like, it is, like, just a re- retelling of it, Um, and also it's from the point of view of, of uh, Oppenheimer. Right. He's the not whole, going to... Right. He's already like, rationalizing enough. He's not going to want to think of the people that was displaced. He's like, we're going to literally drop a son somewhere. Like, yeah. he has bigger fish to fry. It's probably something that like weighed heavy on him. He was, you know, well, that it's, not, it's, just was, not, it's just not that about. He was borderline a Russian, right? The film was just not about that, and it, it could right. have been, and it probably, you know, I, if you ask Nolan, he might even like admit that. But like at the end of the day, like it's a film. It's not like if anything. Listen, if anything, people like you and I are going to go learn about that 
after having seen the film where so that, if the film exactly. didn't exist how many people would be going back way less right way, way less people would probably learn about the plight of those of those of those who were victimized people but, no still still and, affected too um sure. Sure, sure, sure. It's like a fourth or a third, fourth, fifth generation people living in Los Alamosa. They have like a like really crazy cancer rates. Uh, there's this one girl quoted saying like it's not even like if you're gonna get cancer. Like if you live around here, it's like when. Yeah, that's terrible. That's mm-hmm. just yeah, um, yeah, powerful, powerful shit. And, and like I said, this is this is why I think that this is. Um, um, I, you know, having only seen the film once, I'm, I'm a little hazardous to like start espousing like greatest film ever made or anything like that. I, I do, <laughs> I am a little suspicious that I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come down off the high from this film for a pretty long time. So I don't, I don't know where it's gonna sit in the, in the pantheon of like great films. Um, even with some of like, you know, could that stuff have been included? Of course he probably could have, but the the film is the film. It is what it is in a, in its story. And like, like I said, there's a lot to be, I know for one, I know for one fact um, that I leaving, I, I left, left the film wanting to learn as much as possible about this era and beyond what I already had, had learned of. Um, right. Like what you thought and, you knew. I'm sorry. Like what you thought you knew, like yeah, I, yeah. Like, I thought I, I was like pretty well versed, and then like no, I had to like really yeah. Start yeah, there's a lot. It. There was like well, it's impossible to know everything about this era, and about specifically the the Manhattan Project it, itself is its own like unbelievable story, full of all kinds of anecdotes. That it's tough to get a grip on all of it. But the film inspired me to go learn a lot more about it. it inspired me to crack American Prometheus open again. And uh, try to plow through that book, which I, I, that's a like a that's a that's a yearly goal for me. As t- I'm gonna try to get that film digested by, before the end of the year. Um, I tried but, to uh, sorry, I tried what? to read T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. Oh right, you were mentioning this, dude. I was I was hurting, man. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes there's some books out there that do that. American Prometheus is extremely digestible. It's just long. It's just like it's like 900 pages. It's very long, but it is digestible and it is super interesting. And there's graphics and it's you know it'll, it'll keep you once you start it. It's it's easy to keep rolling through. It's just a matter of it's a time it's a time investment for sure. But um, the the one thing that did stick out in that uh in that to me though is a uh, the start of the poem uh has something and it's i think it might be latin and it's like a nam sub nam sibillum quidum uh cubis ego ipse aculus meus vidini ampula pendere et cum ili pure disrente or disrent and so what that is uh probably could have left it out but I, you I say you really it. like you, you did your best and i applaud you but you, you totally butchered it i'm like i look back and i just like summon a demon i'm like what, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what the yo what the heck ghost of oppenheimer just like <laughs> you conjured him drags me down to hell <laughs> but um yeah it uh it translates to i saw with my own eyes the cyborg at cume hanging in a cage and when the boy said to her Sybil what do you want she answered I want to die uh Sybil was a uh, a prophetess who um was given 
uh, anything, and she asked for as much years as there were grains and a handful of dust, and Apollo granted it to her, but she refused to become his lover, so he just let her, like, rot for hundreds of years. Uh, he gave her old age, but he, or, sorry, he gave her, like, life, but he didn't give her youth. So uh, she knew everything and she was just withering, dying. And she's like, I want to like, she knew everything. And she's like, I want to die. And I feel like uh, that's just kind of how like Oppenheimer felt Mm -hmm. like he was like withering away as he kept going. And he just like wanted to die because he knew exactly like. Well, that's why the book is called. The book is is titled American Prometheus, the triumph and tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer. Because so the the story of Prometheus is like it's a. It, it couldn't be more perfect um in the beginning uh they they leave out the birds uh which is that's cool enough um because uh it, it said he's gonna be he's chained to a rock and uh he'd be uh tortured uh like eternally um chained to a rock uh the whole movie uh he wasn't able to celebrate anything like his like or he wasn't able to celebrate like you know uh his achievement or anything just because of how bad it was. So like he was like brought down to earth. He was humbled. Like he was, mm-hmm. and uh, he was tortured. So like, yeah, he had the, uh, like the psychological torture of all that. So it's like, he, it was it does like happen almost... throughout the film too. There's like moments where they make like breakthroughs in their research or in the development. And then like, like there's one scene, like he comes home to celebrate with Kitty and she's just like pissed off and dr- had been drinking all day. And the child had been like crying. Mm-hmm. Like shucks him off so it's like even in the moments where he probably did ha- he did have something to like celebrate like he's just a tortured soul no matter what so um but anyway I, I i mean it's just a powerful it's a powerful um i mean the prometheus thing really is quite eerie and i'm like super i'm like very grateful that you and i uh took on uh some greek mythology in the previous we episode. lucked out we really did it was it was quite quite timely i mean quite timely but um we will let me say this. Um, we, we just wanted to do a special preview for the show um, because the, the film is so good and it was just such an important film. And Aaron and I both uh, just loved it so much that it was it was worth just doing a quick special preview on. Um, we are going to circle back to this film without question and probably in short order. I would imagine, um, you know, somewhere in in a matter of probably months, not years. Uh, we'll be, we'll be coming back to talk about this film in full and dedicate a couple hours to it. Um, you know, unpack a lot of the, a lot of the important messaging in the film and the stories behind the scenes and the acting. And, um, we'll say we didn't mention it. I, I would feel, I would feel, um, a lot of guilt if we walked away from this, even the special preview podcast without noting how unbelievable Cillian Murphy's performance was in the leading role. What an unbelievably unbelievable juggernaut performance one of the better acting performances probably jesus for a lead role in a film where like he like can you can you can you remember a acting performance where like the central figure of the film both in in um in terms of you know who who the story is about and who and what the, the film is titled um, I can't recall a performance to top this. It's he he was that good, and I didn't actually, I actually know he was that amazing as an actor. I mean, he's I've always presumed him to be very good, but like this was virtuoso. I mean, truly, truly top um, two stuff. I read somewhere that uh, Robert Downey Jr. said that he uh, he learned ten thousand words of Dutch. 
to so he could commit to the role to the part of that um, oh this was a method act for sure i've heard a lot of this is the stuff that we'll get into when we do a full podcast because he's um there's a lot of like stories about his behavior on set and like his um you know distancing himself and there's a lot of that stuff in the the backstory of the production of the film and we'll definitely talk about that when we get back to this film um in a matter of time um but we felt in the meantime um i want to close this one out because i do i do i want to save a lot of that in really interesting stuff those interesting topics and that conversation that you and i can have a little later um errol and we'll probably i'm gonna be honest with you folks you're probably gonna miss a little conversation because i think errol and i talk fairly regularly at least you know once or twice a week um on the phone and like i feel like you guys are gonna miss some tidbits that we might, we might be passing along to one another in the meantime but um yeah we'll write down the important stuff yeah we won't forget it we won't forget it and we'll bring it back to the airwaves when we circle back um so this was the conclusion to our special um special preview episode of oppenheimer Quick note, um, Errol and I, just as, uh, as we close this one out, um, I did want to put out there, uh, we're, you know, just where we're at with the podcast and what we're going to continue to do. Um, no huge changes. Our, our next episode coming up, which we're planning to do at some point this week, is going to be uh, next in the music series on Lupe Fiasco's The Cool. Uh, we're going to take that up, take that album down and uh, try to pull it apart, do our thing with it. Um so that'll be a lot of fun. After that episode, we're thinking of potentially pushing pause on the podcast for um, a short while. Um, it's summertime. It's August. The weather's nice. We live in upstate New York, so it's, you know, it's, the, the summer weather's not always, um, it, it's not always here forever. So, um, you know, and I've got young kids and, you know, Errol's got a personal life as well. So we're going to take probably the remainder of August to just try to stop and enjoy life, smell the roses a bit. I'm going to spend some time with my family and, um, you know, just get prepared for the fall and this and that. So after we finish up the cool, we'll talk a little bit more about where we're at with the development. We'll push pause. We're going to get things squared away in terms of our social media and our website development. And then we will pick back up probably in a handful of weeks. Um, and we're going to try to come back with a big one. I, I'm not sure what we're going to do yet. Um, Errol, do you, you don't have to tell me what they are, but do you have any big ideas in, in place that you want to bring to the podcast? Just, you know, don't, don't announce them here, but like, is there, you have something in your chamber? Yeah, no, yeah, I got a, I got a couple things. Um, some things that we've like, uh, previously discussed, um, I don't think on air, but stuff that we've had, like, you know, in the old, uh, in, in the old uh on the back burner just Production just hanging box. in there and uh yeah with the little break it might be something that uh or we might have some things that will be uh better fit to dive into without the uh you know the time constraint but yeah. uh no we'll definitely uh we'll come back with something cool oh yeah i think we, i'd like to come back and uh like i said it's just going to be a couple of weeks where we're just gonna just try to enjoy the remainder of the summer and uh Try to enjoy life a little bit, but it, it's it's hard to say that because we're actually still probably going to be in some development on a few uh, podcast ideas we have in mind coming forward. Um, we'll keep you guys posted along the way on the Twitter page. We appreciate any support you guys have given us at this point. Our uh, our listeners, our few listeners out there, we we appreciate you guys supporting the podcast. We hope you continue to do so. Um, and it's a pleasure. It is. It's a lot of fun to do. And uh, these are the reasons why, because um, there's a lot of stuff that Errol and I want to discuss and um, doing a podcast about stuff makes it, uh, you learn a lot just going through the, um, 
just going through the research process um, on a lot of this stuff. So um, it's, it's, it's just a blast to do it. We're just, uh, it's just that time of year. We'll just take a few weeks off. And honestly, I think it will be better off for it. Well, when we come back from this break, we're going to basically have, like I said, I'd like to have a few more social media accounts up. I'd like to have the, the website up and ready to go. Um, uh, I've got some recording equipment that I, I mean, I've been itching to really get set up and get, you know, fired up and ready to go. So when we come back, not only are we going to have um, some big fun content for you guys to uh, dive down, dive into with us, but uh, hopefully our sound will be even improved and we will have a, a few more, um, a few more uh, spots where we're present in the internet sphere. So uh, Errol, anything you want to, you want to close out with any, any tidbits you want to add before we, seal this thing up um yeah like i'm um, i didn't want to um, i got like a bunch of notes here but i like you know we're gonna we're gonna come back to it but a couple things that i did want to mention that i liked that i wanted to kind of be like one of the first people to be like ooh, like i got that um yeah yeah please with uh with dr robbie you'll notice uh the one thing he shares uh with him is uh the orange they uh they split the orange ooh, yes. with each other you remember so that was, that stood out quite a bit yeah, they start off splitting something because I was like, "What's the?" I was like, "Why is the orange bar?" I was like, "Oh yeah, you split an orange." I was like, "Oh my god, it's like a circle and you, boom." But um, I like how um they did approach like the uh, the whole communism thing where he is like, "No, I like he's like it's kind of like pseudo intellectual intellectual, but they have some uh some good ideas." And uh, I'm like, I'm it probably wasn't even intended, but I'm like silly. So when he's at like the party with like all the communists, I'm like, Oh my God, it's literally a communist party. Mm. Oh, like, Oh, <laughs> that's what it is. That's what yeah. It is. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, that's wicked funny. But, uh, one well, of my interesting note about the orange and I'll, uh, <laughs> we're just going to get our gears going again here, but uh, we'll, I'll, we'll pump the brakes after your next one. But I did want to mention yeah. about the orange. So like two things, number one, anytime I see an orange in a film, I just think of the Godfather because it's like a, um, both the Godfather films, they like anytime an orange, uh, appears on screen or basically most of the time, maybe not every time, but only, for some reason, the oranges are, I mean, they're all Italian. So I think that like, I don't know, maybe, maybe they're, that's a popular, uh, orange is a fruit, right? Yeah. Orange is a fruit. It's a fruit. Well, of yeah. course it's a fruit. Yeah. Right. Getting late. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> the, the food of an orange um appears in the godfather and typically that's like a, a bad omen where like someone will someone's death is or something violent or something bad will happen to the person eating the orange i think is how it's perceived um but also like my my wife's uh parents or her grandparents used to put an orange in their stocking it's like an old uh it's actually a tribute it's like a tradition i guess for people who survived the uh depression oh okay yeah, so I don't know if it represents like uh, uh, it's like the or like a, a a bright orange orange is um orange like orange. the bomb. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> well, it's also I think it's I mean, it could be symbolic of like uh of of you know ripe living like you're 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 fed. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, like, uh, no, the, the other, um, they're two like wicked little quick tidbits. Uh, the one was, uh, when they're moving the core into the bomb, they're holding it like the Ark of the Covenant. And oh, I was like, true. Very true. I yep. was like, Ooh, that's pretty neat. And then, um, I don't know, uh, it's the guy eludes me right now, but the dude who was uh, like brought Oppenheimer onto the project, who's like, they don't trust you because you're a dirty, filthy communist. I'm trying to remember. 
guy with the glasses uh, who was running the um, the guy who tried he to, was not the professor who tried to poison. No, no, the guy who he was running the uh, oh Ernest Lawrence, Doctor Lawrence. Yes, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, um, he's talking to him uh, about uh, like he's like, oh, look, you don't see the revolution, like the uh, the scientific revolution and like the art revolution and everything else, and then he's like, we we already had our revolution. I was like, that's the most American statement I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have like a governmental just fed like, nope, straight and narrow from here on out. You guys are going to just have American dream. Nope, we had our revolution. That's we are America. It happened at the start. And that was all development for this country. We, (laughs) yep. He's like, nope, I'm going to take that commie talk across the water. Yeah. But no, I thought that was really funny. Very weird. Uh, commentary on the on communism for sure but um no yeah. it wasn't it was during the red scare yeah well no i know i didn't i don't mean weird as in like inappropriate i just mean there's like um how they how they kind of f- uh, filter it throughout the film it's i mean it's it, it's part of the story whether we you know anyone likes it or not but mm-hmm. but uh, yeah how they play with it in terms of like you know him being obviously accused of it throughout the film i mean they when they're like mother brother to a wife yeah it's tough. Like it's just it's an easy tough. it's an tough easy to... parallel to be like you know not a stretch yeah. especially if you want to throw under the bus yeah where they land on that we will discuss in the uh you know because i've got i got some thoughts on that on where they land with that um in terms of where i land with it in terms of my perception of that but you know you comfortable enough to rate it now or you want to wait for that now nah. oh rating you're talking rating yeah Ooh. oh Good question. I mean, I'm. It's hard. I I just know I'm being biased. Like I'm know I'm having recency bias. Like because I'm just giving. I'm. It's a ten out of ten. For me. It's always like every since I walked out of the theater, I've had a really hard time not thinking about the film. It's been like rattling around in my brain like pretty pretty regularly. It's a little better now because it's been almost a week. But like for like four days straight, I could not stop thinking about the film. I mean, it was just, it was just that good. It's a 10 out of 10 for me. As of now, I'd like to see it a couple more times before I'm willing to like truly give it a rating that I'd be willing to like etch down. Um, as of right now, it's a 10 because I haven't seen a movie. I've never seen a film like that. Have you? Mm-hmm. Like that? Like, have nope. you ever been impacted by a film like that? Like, no, no. Um, I'm trying to think of a better, like, um, a biopic that I've seen with a more star-studded cast that has tackled a more critical like uh subject. doesn't exist. Yeah. Doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Truly doesn't exist. I mean you have like like the theory of everything came out and that was about Hawking, Stephen Hawking, Dr. Stephen Hawking, but like and that's like an important he's an important figure and his story is important, but like as a film it's not even it's they don't even Matt Damon says talk it. the same language. Matt Damon says it to one of the scientists. He's like, why are we going to do that? He's like, maybe because it's the most fucking important thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind. Right. And, and it's it, like, it probably still is to the state. That's um, what I mean. It's like, it's actually not hyperbolic when they say that. Like, yeah. he says that, and like, that's what's, they would, Christopher Nolan would never write that into a script. He would just, because it's so, it's ridiculous. No matter what film it is, he would never write that into one of his scripts until he made this movie where the statement is undeniably true. Right, yeah, no, Matt Damon morning, screams it in his face. Top line. Yeah, he screams it in that guy's face and just storms off, doesn't even want to be bothered with him. Because he fucking meant it, and it was true. Yeah. 
It's it's I don't know. For me, it's a it's a ten out of ten pending. Like I, I, if I see, I, I have to see it again. I know I'm not. I'm pretty confident. I'm not changing my rating, but I want to see it again before I give it. Well, how about this? We'll just I'll probably see it once, one to three more times between now and the time we sit down and do a podcast on it, and. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we'll have a little off, uh, off air. Let's have a little wager. I don't know. Cause it's, it's too subjective. No, we should. That's a, uh, like the physicists were doing when the bomb was going to go off. We could do that. We got it. We can gamble. Yeah. Well, I don't know, I, but I could always just to win the bet. I so if it's about my rating, then like, you know, I don't know. I don't anticipate my rating to change. I, I consider it one of the best. It's easily for me right now. It's one of the best films of the 21st century. Um, probably maybe the best. It's like it's there will be blood and no country for old men and Oppenheimer now. Like that's in but that those. Book. But those movies aren't as important. They're really not. Well, there will be blood. You could make an argument in terms of like it's ta- you know, it's commentary on like capitalism and you know, uh, the development of like it, it, it's ro- oil's role in the industrial. Yeah, world. but it's uh, it's like uh, historical fiction, though. It's like loosely based. Yeah, it on is. That's true. That's exactly true. Where this is like, yeah, because it's like based on Upton Sinclair. Which... And this is okay. Lo- we'll say loosely based because some of the stuff is taken for like theatrics, but it's for the most part no, you can it's... look up this stuff. It's not and, even like a lot of those things happened. Oh, it's it's not a lot. It's like almost all of it. It's like literally, yeah. I think it's ninety plus percent of the film was historically accurate. So, like for me, it's it might be the most. It's I will say this: it is the it is definitely the most important film to come out in the twenty first century so far. And I think that that's I don't think that's disputable. It could you could make an argument for other things. I know that that's probably that can be done, and I could be persuaded, but. From my from where I'm sitting today, that's that's my perspective. But um, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll let you go. Do you have a pending temporary rating for it? Yeah, no, I'd have to just uh, I just have to hop on, hop on where you're at. Um, yeah, I'll let you know if I find a blemish. Yeah, but the yeah. only hang up I really had, like I was saying, is um how it probably could have went into bigger detail how like people were affected. But like one of the reasons I can see why they didn't do it because it wasn't a story about that but um it's a uh, yeah there's it's it's riveting it's a uh, fucking time yeah it's a goddamn a f- frightful it's a fucking bomb <laughs> 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 it's uh yeah it's 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 the best it's like it's i don't know we don't have to do uh to be labor on it for too long but um that's it. Let's wrap it up. That's that's we we have got a lot to talk about this film. But we will definitely circle back to it. So um, once again, thanks thanks for joining us on the Peripheral Views podcast. You can find us um, on Twitter at Peripheral V one two three. You can find us on SoundCloud.com forward slash Peripheral Views one two three. Feel free to contact the podcast at peripheralviewspodcast at gmail.com. Um, if you're streaming us on the SoundCloud website um, and looking for a little bit easier access to your mobile apps. We are on the Apple Podcast, throw us in the search bar. Um, we are also on Spotify, and please do the same there. If you do happen to listen, listen to us on those apps, hit the notification bell. Please be sure to subscribe and leave us a positive review and rating because that helps us out tremendously. So um, that's it for today's podcast um, on Oppenheimer. Short preview. We'll circle back to it in a handful of time. Be patient with us. Uh, we'll be back actually very soon with Lupe Fiasco's The Cool. We're going to talk that film later in the week. 
Um, that episode should be out, I would say, no later than uh, next Monday. So keep your eyes peeled for that one. We will have that out and ready to go. And after that, we're going to take a long break. And uh, if something develops between now and our next recording, we'll let you guys know in that recording. If not, um, you know, we'll see you guys in a few weeks after that podcast. So hang tight for the uh, Lupe Fiasco is the cool because that one's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a ton of, uh, uh, we're going to have a blast talking that film or talking that, I'm sorry, album. And a uh, lot, to, lot to discuss there too. We'll go a little, little bit longer on that one. But in the meantime, thanks for joining the Perfect Reviews podcast. And-